Welcome to the Faith Over Everything podcast that covers literally everything, whether it's pop culture, religion, politics, relationships, fashion and beauty, entertainment, or Black culture, Pulse Faith Wimberly is talking about it. Tune in every other Wednesday for a new episode available on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you name it. Welcome to today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in to Faith Over Everything. I have an amazing guest with me today. She is the queen of my life and she is absolutely amazing. She is a pastor. She is a businesswoman. She is an entrepreneur. She is a mother. She's a sister, a wife, a prayer warrior. Uh, my sister's keeper. She is all of the above. She is none other than my mother, Reverend Cheryl Cornelius. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be on. Good to have you. I had to have you on, Mom, because um, you just never cease to amaze me. I'm always talking. Obviously, all my friends know you, right? So they're always like, you know, what's Pastor Cheryl up to? And then when I tell them what you're up to, what's new with you, what you're working on, they're always so inspired by you, um, always so encouraged by you and your story and how you just continue to pivot and how you continue to kind of evolve all the time, no matter what's going on. So I thought that it would be very fitting to have you on the show because I think, number one, not I think, I know, you're an amazing example, an amazing example of what it means to be just a beautiful, strong, intelligent, amazing Black woman who has gone through things but has come out better, wiser, and stronger. So, you know, you have a lot of wisdom to share. So I had to get you on the show. Well, I appreciate that, Faith. You know, you're uh, certainly an example uh, and a, you know, a great example of being a wonderful mother, sister, woman. And, you know, you're one of my sheroes and I love you certainly. And and your friends are great women. And it's just uh, a blessing to be able to be on this uh, you know, podcast with you. I certainly tell my friends and uh, people that I meet about it. <laughs> they'll join in as well. Thank you, mom. I appreciate that. Okay, well, let's dive in. Um, tell the listeners a little bit more about where you're from, where you were raised, and how was your childhood? Well, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. Inglewood, Southside, right? Uh, actually, actually, when I was born, mm-hmm. I, we stayed on 30th and now it's King Drive, but it was oh. South Parkway oh. and right close to the lake. Um, my grandparents had a two flat building and um, my parents stayed on one floor and they stayed on the top floor. The city actually purchase the property eminent domain situation where they got the property because they were going to build Dunbar High School, which is what they did. So my grandparents 
uh, decided, well, they had to move. So they ended up moving on 71st and Lafayette, which is along the Dan Ryan Expressway. Although That's Inglewood. That's what we know. Inglewood, right on the end of right. Inglewood. So it's like because State Street is the dividing line in Chicago and mm -hmm. Lafayette was the next street over west mm -hmm. and we were kind of you know close to Grand Crossing then there was Inglewood then it was you know all of that so um that's where I grew up uh and, and how uh, was your childhood my childhood was really great uh, because my grandparents my aunt and my cousin stayed on the second floor and my um uh, parents and my sister and I stayed on the first floor. So we were a multi-generational home and it was a very loving house. Um, we had, uh, you know, all of our major um, holidays. We spent upstairs with my grandparents. Uh, my grandmother worked in a laundry and she washed everybody's clothes, ironed everybody's clothes. She was an amazing seamstress. She made a lot of my dresses nice. and uh, some other things. Uh, and, and so it was a wonderful house full of love, full of laughs um, for a long time, for a okay. long time up until, um, my teen years, uh, okay. my latter teen years, uh, because my father ended up leaving our household, leaving our family. We came home one day and his stuff was gone. Why did he leave, Ma? Um, the way it was told to me, uh, he left because my mother, he wanted a son, basically. You know how some men just have this thing where they want a boy. They want a boy. Mm -hmm. uh, not realizing that, you know, boys come from men, right? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> not women. Mm -hmm. uh, and because he was not as attentive, I guess you could say, to my mother, she had decided that after my sister was born, she didn't want to have any more children. Mm -hmm. Although she did say la later that if she had known that, he wanted a son as much as he did. Mm -hmm. uh, she would have tried to give him one, but they never spoke about it. He started uh, having affairs mm. and um, met up with, you know, these women. He he was a bowler and he was, he bowled a lot. And so he met these women at the bowling alley. And of course, you know, after conversations, they promised him that they would give him a son and all of that stuff. Which is bull because you can't guarantee what right. you're going to have. Right, because again, <laughs> boys come from, you know, a chromosome or whatever that the man has. And so, um, you know, he ended up leaving my mother for one woman and then uh, meeting another woman at the bowling alley, a, a younger woman who was actually younger than me mm. and uh, marrying her, having one other child, and it was a girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. That's, so, so, um, so you're saying one day you came home and he was gone. That was it. Right. Yes. 
we came home. Uh, I had graduated from high school, was working at the University of Illinois. My mother at the medical center side, my mother worked on the uh, university side. And so we rode to uh, work together. And uh, okay, so we come home and uh, I go in the house first and I look and his stuff is gone. Wow. And so I have to tell my mother that dad had moved out. What well, you had she, to, to I had that. to tell her that because she came in, the, you know, his stuff was gone, you know, whatever. She had known him since she was about 13 years old. They married when she was 18 years old. The only man she had ever loved, been with, mm. gone. Mm. Mm. Wow. And we know we don't have to, we don't have that much time, but we know what that did, you know, to Granny. Absolutely. And how she I fell mean. into depression and stuff like that after he right. left. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But so happy to say she moved on and was able to find love and joy and contentment and happiness. But that was a big blow for her. Absolutely. And for you guys too, because you oh, always had your family unit. So I know. Absolutely. I mean, I, my father was my hero in so many ways. He was a good provider. You know, he used to say, I make as much as a doctor because he was, uh, um, at first he was a plaster. And then when they started building things with drywall, he got into pipe fitting. Did he some of the major buildings? Oh, some of the major Chicago? buildings, universities. All those kinds of things he worked on. And so he always had a job. He always, you know, made a good living. Um, my mother didn't work for a long time when she started working. She started working at Marshall Fields, which was a major, you department know, store. department store in Chicago. And uh, we always got clothes from there. She had employee <laughs> discount. We always look good. Okay. <laughs> clean Uh, clean yeah we always did (laughs) we always did it kids but um yeah yeah that was hard I mean it was hard it it affected my choices in men and relationships because I would hang on even when I shouldn't have Mm. on tightly because I didn't want a failed you know marriage or relationship or whatever so, yeah, it was interesting. Um, interesting, too, that uh, a famous at the time astrologer did my chart and told me that I would never be married, that I would have relationships with men, but I would never be married. I came out of there so depressed. And Thank 45, goodness. 46 years later, that was a lie. Right. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly. God had a plan for me. And, right. and it over. It it uh, went over anything that the stars could dictate. I heard that. So you started because you're you're also among so many other things. You're also an artist as well. So you started sewing and, and getting into um, art in high school, right? Yeah, well, actually, I did a lot of things in grammar school. Oh, okay. uh, I mean, I used to love to draw and. And I've always been like a really creative person. And mm-hmm. when I went to high school, I got into studio art. So I always had art in high school. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I even 
uh, got an award from uh, a department store that was sponsoring for the, you know, for the Board of Education, this art award. Mm-hmm. And I did a picture. And um, the next year when I came back, our art teacher told me that I had received an award and I was like, what? And they said, yes. And, uh, it's going to be exhibited downtown at a new building that the city of Chicago had built the daily center, Mm -hmm. which my father went and saw, you know, it on exhibit. And then I was just like amazed about that. (laughs) Like, really? Um, but, um, yeah, so was always into art, uh, represented my high school, uh, one summer. In fact, that's why I didn't learn how to drive that summer because I was Mm -hmm. representing my high school in a, as prestigious art program at the uh, Illinois Institute of Technology. You know, Mm -hmm. they had like one or two students from every high school in Chicago and we did different things. So yeah, art was really uh, big and important. And I, I did that. Wanted to be one time. I wanted to be a fashion designer, but that's another long story. I don't have to do. (laughs) Okay, because I know we. um, I wanted to take a a little step back because we're talking about you. So I know being creative is a part of who you are. So that's why I just wanted to go back there. But now I want to now want to press forward and and kind of continue to talk about a little bit about how you were saying how seeing what your mom went through with your dad kind of affected your relationships. So you went to the psychic. He said, yeah, forget about it. You're not going to be in love. You're not going to have a family, et cetera. And then boop, you meet dad. So right. <laughs> tell us how you met dad and um, tell us about your relationship with him. Well, I met him. Um, as I mentioned previously, my mother worked at the university of Illinois on the uh, campus side. And your dad's brother was a campus policeman. And my mother worked in the physical plant building where their offices were. Mm -hmm. My mother liked him and thought he would make a nice guy for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And so my mother was a lot of fun too. A lot of younger people gravitated to her. She was just like the life of every party. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was a memorial. We had a mutual friend uh, and he worked at the university too and invited my mother and I to come to his barbecue on Memorial Day. And so my mother thought, well, ooh, this is a good time for her to meet, you know, um, his brother. And so uh, I go to it. My mother, she's busy doing something else. Everybody's asking me where she is. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I go in there and uh, I'm meeting people and mm, I see your dad's brother and he uh, is barking like a dog in another room, you know, everybody was <laughs> tricking and stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> so um, your dad comes in looking, mm, mm, mm. Oh, Lord. handsome as 
I'll just As say he can very, be. Okay. As he can be. Okay. <laughs> big fro, thick mustache, thick, okay. just long eyelashes, beautiful, oh handsome. He asked me to dance, and we've been dancing together ever since. <laughs> so you guys have been married for how long? Uh, since 1975. Wow. So because... Let's just keep it real. My mom is a pastor. She's been saved for a very long time, but she wasn't always a pastor. So you had a son. You had a son and dad had a son when you guys met. Right. So how did you guys mesh the family? So you met. He met. You had two sons and then you guys decided to be together. At what point did you decide to be together? Like how long did you date before you got married? Uh, Not long. (laughs) Okay. Hello. Uh, we met that May. Okay. We got married that February. Mm, okay. So we we got we uh, met in 1974 in May, mm-hmm. and we got married in February. Um, okay. And uh, one of the things that actually your dad liked was the fact that I had a son because. He, you know, he had been divorced and everything and had a son that he wanted a a deeper relationship with. Mm -hmm. And so he saw uh, my son as a way to, you know, uh, be a father all the time and to do that. So that was that was actually a plus. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kids are open to everything and they were young. And so they love playing together and getting together. And so they were very close. They were I was gonna say they were very close. All their lives they were very close. Absolutely. So, so tell me about let's talk about marriage. So you're married, right? Let's talk about some of the lessons you learned in marriage because if people know you and dad, they know your story, right? And you guys have an amazing testimony. Um, so can you share with the listeners a little bit about kind of what were the lessons, some of the biggest lessons you learned in your marriage and some of the challenges that you faced in your marriage and how you were able to overcome them? Well, um, I guess part of, you know, your dad is an incredible man loving, caring. He would give anybody the shirt off his back mm-hmm. kind of person and has done that, you know, mm-hmm. but um, part of what happened to him, he was, has an extremely close family. Yes. Uh, loving parents. I, I love them so much. They were so supportive of me throughout. Uh, they were just wonderful people. And, uh, but my husband, you know, he, you know, dibbled around, he drank, he, you know, smoked cigarettes, all kinds of things like that. But his youngest son, a brother was killed in front of him. Mm -hmm. And that just like, uh, was such a blow. They were so close, you know, and that mm-hmm. was such a blow that he eventually uh, got into substance abuse and that affected our lives together. Um, but all I can say is that God was w- in the plan anyway, because he got us together and we we ended up getting through that. It was hard. It was difficult. It was, you know, a lot of things happened to us in our lives that, you know, people would just 
open their mouth and shake their head. What? You know, I can't believe that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would say, well, how in the world do you, I mean, it was, I had friends that, you know, would say, oh, you don't need anybody like that. You know, you could do better by yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, why are you sticking this out? Why are you, and I, you know, just part of that is me being so stubborn and not Mm -hmm. wanting to see uh, a failed marriage and by the, you know we had children mm-hmm. you know all together we had five you know you had four brothers and mm-hmm. came along and praise god for you coming along <laughs> i came i was no go ahead the fifth, the fifth one <laughs> and the only girl and uh and so yeah it was extremely hard you know, a lot of the things that people see in movies about, you know, the difficulties that people have when they are on substance, you know, a substance abuse or whatever. Mm-hmm. We live through all that, you know, the, you know, not having any, any money or, you know, for a long time, we didn't have a car. It was amazing how we even got one, but, you know, all of those things. And, um, you know, God opened a door, um, you know, when you are dealing with substance abuse, when you decide that you want to do better, and you, certainly your dad did, um, you have to change people, places, and things. And so I remember your father praying for a friend, and hmm. uh, um, we, at that time, were living, uh, going to Carter Temple, mm-hmm. the, and um and we went to Carter Temple following you to church because you started going there. And then they called and said that you were getting baptized. And we said, <laughs> we need to go and see where this girl is going to church. Shout out to Talia and shout out to Carter Temple. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> and this was the first time that uh, I went to church that, that your dad actually liked it. Mm-hmm. And then he met a friend, uh, Reverend, well, he wasn't at the time. He was Minister Lance Davis, who mm-hmm. became our father in the ministry eventually. And um, so they were hanging out together. And um, I remember at the time we didn't have a car and Lance was bringing dad home. And he said, don't you, uh, at the time, I think your father was still smoking cigarettes he had given Mm -hmm. everything else up and he said don't you think the same God that can deliver you from drugs can deliver you from cigarettes and your dad said yes and that was the last time he smoked a cigarette so he was delivered from everything from everything because dad used to keep a a cup of a a can of beer in a little cigarette well he, he he his uh his drink of choice actually was <laughs> was like wild Irish rose. I remember that as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't that much of a beer drinker, but he did mm-hmm. wine. But he gave up everything, single thing. Yes, he and did. Not only that, uh, God worked supernaturally, and we were ordained together as in ministers, thousand as pastors, mm-hmm. and a, as a couple. They had <laughs> people didn't even understand. I didn't even go to that conference to be ordained. That's how amazing that was. <laughs> Left that conference, that's uh, you know, CME conference, 
ordained and and pastors of a church. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, we were ordained on Thursday and we were in a a, a new church on Sunday. <laughs> Wow. I want to take it a step back because I know you mentioned, you know, me having four brothers. Mm -hmm. How was that? Now, we know times are completely different now, but as a mom having, you know, four sons, how Mm -hmm. was that in the inner city uh, of Chicago worrying about them? And, you know, I know a few of them got caught up in a few antics here and there. But, you know, how was that being a mom? of four boys. Well, I wanted to say that I absolutely loved being a mother and loved my children. I have had so much fun with them. (laughs) (laughs) They have had, they have done some crazy things and had crazy things happen to them where you just shake your head and like, what? What is going on? I mean, from one <laughs> hanging out of a third floor window and my neighbors running up. Who to, was that? Which one was that? Bobby. Um, okay, run, go ahead. Running up. And then, of course, Bob is the one that fell down the, you know, the, the sewer. The, uh, was it the sewer? Sewer. Mm-hmm. And I almost drowned. And his big brother heard him screaming. And your dad was home, ran outside, lifted him out of the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> to to me taking him, taking him to the hospital because he had a sore foot only to find out that he had a, a, a straight pin in sticking his- in his heel had been there for months <laughs> <laughs> and they showed me the x-ray mother look at this and I could not believe he had a whole straight pin in his foot so he had to have that taken out so I mean I can just go on and on about him as well as uh, my other sons but um, we didn't have for a long time we really didn't have that much I mean I was you know I was the the discount store queen I mean the resale store queen where I would get all of our stuff Mm -hmm. but you know what you made some of my clothes right ma Yes, mm-hmm. I I started sewing. I started making, you know, making your clothes. I couldn't make the boys' clothes. And it's interesting because you know how you, things happen to you at your childhood. You don't tell your parents. Yeah. One time, uh, one of your brothers told me I was so embarrassed because I would go to school and I would have all of the, I would have the same, you know, like the same jeans. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think in those terms, you know, trying mm-hmm. to get a deal or whatever. Yeah. So I would buy the same jeans, but just in different colors or whatever. I didn't know that uh, people were laughing at him or teasing him at school. Or whatever. Kids are cruel for real. I, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But uh, all I know is wherever there was a deal, I tried to get one. So And you did what that, you had to do as a mom. And, and dad and I did what we had to do yeah. to take care of you guys. And, you know, we would get my father even talked about us and said, you all are the spaghettiest eating family. I know every time I go <laughs> spaghetti, I'm like thinking to myself, spaghetti's cheap. We have a big family. 
right? <laughs> and I love spaghetti, okay, to this day. Oh, I love wow. spaghetti, but, uh, and I would, I make up, I would make up uh, dishes, like corny Cornelius's. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yes, I do. What was that, beans? And, what was that? Corn. It was corn, mm -hmm. and um, I would mix maybe um, an eggs, basically, mm. with green pepper and stuff, and mix it and give it a name. If I gave it a name, you guys would eat it. Well, I just rem I remember not being very picky. Like, I used to eat everything, so. Well, it's amazing to me. You all did. You know, I think your brother, well, oldest brother, he doesn't eat fish, but believe me, I it was no fixing another dish. Whatever I fixed, that's you all what we had. Because so, people don't know. I, I think this right here is so important because people. I know for a fact people look at me because I've gotten it myself. They see me, who I am, whoever you know, and assume how my life went. No one knows your life. Right. Don't nobody know what I've been through, what I lived through, what I personally experienced. We are blessed to say, hey, yes, we went through X, Y, and Z, but we were able to persevere, you know, Absolutely. with hard work, obviously by the grace of God and, you know, persistence, we were able to overcome and live the lives that, you know, we worked hard to live. But Absolutely. I just think telling your story is so important and it's a lot that's not even being said but i'm just saying little things like this people don't know oh absolutely know? people I don't mean, know sometimes we used to have to heat up the house with the oven like people don't know that. that's true i mean absolutely and and i would go to work and people didn't know what you know you you're trying to look professional you're doing your yeah. job yes you know that the drama that you're going through oh that's deep ma you're right. Putting on this this front mm -hmm. so that people don't know. Yes, you really want to cry somewhere, but mm. you're you're trying to do the best that you can wherever your job is. And I think a lot of people are go through that. I think a lot of women go through that. They put on that, you know, try mm. to put on a, a happy face. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also important that people. Uh, not only uh, understand their past, but deal with those hurts so that they yeah. can get through because God has a greater plan for you. You don't understand it when you're going through it, mm -hmm. but everything that I've gone through has made me, I think, a stronger person, a better person, a more compassionate person. Yes. And I always believe that I'm able to help other people, you know, because of my testimony. Like if somebody's going through a difficult time or somebody, Absolutely. I mean, I actually, I, and I give all, all glory to God. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a young minister at our church and she was uh, going to have she was actually going to sign the papers for her divorce mm -hmm. and uh i was led to call her and in the course of our conversation i gave my testimony mm -hmm. and she decided she wasn't going to sign those divorce papers that, and at wow. the time she had one little girl they mm -hmm. have been happily married ever since and mm. they have four daughters now you wow. Know? And uh, the, she, she literally, she said, I have the papers that I am going to sign right now. Mm. Literally. 
And she said, I told him I'm not signing the papers that, you know, I, you know, I think we're able to work this out. You know, if Pastor Cheryl, if, <laughs> if Pastor Bob can work it out, I think then we, we can. can. Yeah. And I remember a friend of mine and I, we went to their, her house and we prayed. We anointed her house. We prayed. And that was years ago. I mean, mm. their little girl is now in college. Wow. So, that's awesome. That's, so a, that's an awesome that's testimony. That's testimony to mm -hmm. how important it is not only for you to learn and grow yeah. from your past or whatever and to deal with those demons. I mean, before my father died, I was I made peace with him. Mm -hmm. Your father led him to the Lord before mm -hmm. he died. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those things are very important and that we use our testimonies and give glory to God. I think every time I've, I've said something and it, it's helped somebody else, my goodness, what a blessing. It's a blessing to me to yeah. even hear their testimony when they say, you know, I was going to do this or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I talked to Pastor Cheryl and, you know, now I changed, it changed my life. What a awesome thing. And I don't get glory from that. I give all glory to God because, you know, he brought us from where we were to where we are now. Now, mm -hmm. when I look at our, my life and, and what was going on when you guys are young, it's like a dream. It's like, mm. did this really happen? Well, I know it did. I lived it. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I can praise even more because I once was there and now I'm now here. I'm here. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, that's how good God has been in my life. And he continues to be. And that's awesome. And I just want to add this, too, for anybody that may be listening. Um, it's always important. I just say, I say for me. Uh, growing up, you know, yeah, we didn't have a lot, et cetera, but I always had a strong, we always had a strong village. Yes. Like we always had, like you mentioned, my grandparents, um, on, you know, your parents and dad's parents. I've always had my aunts and my uncles in my life. And then just meeting people outside of our family too, like people at Carter Temple and seeing the kids going off to college. And I always had something to aspire to be, even seeing you getting up and getting dressed in your suit and going downtown on the CTA, on the bus, on the train, going to work like that was something for me to look up to and aspire to want to be. So I always knew, oh, I want to get dressed up. I want to be a businesswoman like my mom. Like I always just looked at you like, oh, she's a corporate woman. My mom works downtown. Like it was just always a big deal. And the way if you're from Chicago and you live on the South side, nine times out of 10, if you're on the Dan Ryan Expressway, you can see downtown, right? You can see the skyline. And that was just always something that, I aspire to be. And so I just want to encourage anybody that may be listening. Maybe your situation isn't what you want it to be. Maybe you don't have what you want your kids to have. But if you find a village for them, find mentors, you know, and people and programs that can inspire them, help them, encourage them and show them and help them to want to be more and see more and, you know, do that. Definitely do that, because that really, I believe, helped me. It was so instrumental in my life. So that was everything. Just having that village. 
And I want to say, too, about Carter Temple, you know, it was a resource church in a lot of ways because there were a lot of business people there or would come through or politicians or whatever. And so they wanted our young people to really aspire. And they they gave you opportunities to do speeches, Mm -hmm. to be a part of the service. And so you had you had experience with speaking in front of a congregation. Absolutely. Yep. You had an experience of doing various things. And so and they uh they did that. They were such a wonderful uh they gave you such wonderful opportunities. And so that was such a blessing. Uh, yes, it I was. will always love me too because they supported me, they supported your dad, they supported our whole family. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was a wonderful thing. And, um, and so, you know, my parents didn't take us to church, they sent us to church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember that, but I also remember, and every place that I went, there was, you know, positivity, there was positivity where we would go. And, um, when we got to the point where we allowed ourselves to be a part of it, you know, we blossomed. Yeah, absolutely. 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 I can't, we could go on and on about like Carter Temple and, you know, just the experiences that was just such a pivotal part of my life. Like being a kid there singing in the choir. I mean, it was just such an amazing time even as a kid you know it was just the best time as a kid as a teenager it was awesome so and a young well, adult I remember so. when you when we took you to Tennessee State to college and you were gonna look for a church and there was a woman that was a part of that denomination and she said well Faith you're not gonna find a church like Carter Temple down here <laughs> and you didn't <laughs> you found another church to go to but you went Absolutely. And, and, and everybody knows Mount, like if you went to Tennessee state, you know about Mount Zion, like that was the church that all the young people went to, but Mount Zion for what we needed in that season, it was amazing. It was really good. That was another instrumental ministry. It was really, really good. Absolutely. When I could get up for church in the morning, I would get up and we would go to Mount Zion and it was great. Um, Okay, so let's take it back, right? So, you know, you, you're married, right? You're in ministry now. Your career has blossomed. Now, I want to take it a step back because you did a lot of things older in life, right? You got, how old were you when you got your driver's license? Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> probably about, let's see, I'm 70 now. So I think I was like, 67. Okay, but you got it. Okay. I got it. And you got a car. Okay. So you out I here riding. Right. Yes. You got your wheels. You're doing it. Okay. So you did that. And then how old were you when you finished your college degree? I finished it. I was 62. Wow. So but 60s I- were like the years. The pivotal years. I mean, <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, I have an aunt. We have an aunt, Aunt Lou. Mm -hmm. She's 96. And we just moved her from Las Vegas. She lived by herself a long time. 
she's only been here what three years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so up into her nineties, her early nineties. And I went to visit her one time, and she was in her nineties. She was like, I don't know, ninety three <laughs> or ninety two, maybe ninety two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't drive, but she could. And I said to myself, what's wrong with this picture? My 92-year-old aunt who can barely look over the steering wheel is driving me, and I can't around, drive. Around I decided, Las Vegas. Right. That was, that was when I decided, okay, girl, you need to drive. So I did. <laughs> it took a while, but I did. And uh, my son, Patrick... Uh, who bought me a car and then I never yes. drove it. I ended up giving it back to him when he got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, he took me to get my license and I shocked your dad, came home with my license and said, okay, we got to get a car. I got to get a car. Which right, you weren't, because you weren't about, about to drive his car. No, no. Not. He was like, you're not driving my car. I'm like, well, I'm driving some <laughs> car. So he took me to get it and he was just shocked. He was leaving out and my car was parked in the driveway and I I was looking out the window. He was shaking his head in disbelief. (laughs) Because really he had driven you around your whole, most of your life. Well, your adult life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that always was amazing to me because I was always like, no, I'm 16. I need to learn how to drive. I'm getting my license. But it always amazed me. I'm like, ma, you don't want to get your own license. You want to wait for somebody to have to go somewhere. Mm-mm, no, thank you. And I worked, you know, I worked for organizations where people lived in the suburbs, churches. I worked with suburban yes, churches or did. whatever. I'd have to go to meetings and either I would have to stay at somebody's house or take the train or meet somebody that would I could ride with to get to these suburban churches to work Mm -hmm. with them. Um, I did that. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, an amazing thing. Your father took me everywhere. And even when I went back to school, I was going to night school. He would have to. Take me and pick me up. So, you know, shout out to dad. (laughs) Absolutely. His name should be on this degree as well because, because, you know, he took me and picked me up every, every week. Wow. Yeah, no, for real. Like, shout out to dad and you because you, there was nowhere you weren't going to get to, even if you had to take public transportation. I mean, you would get there and you knew how to get everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. Like you, I've had to, you, you know, were the original map quest queen because you knew how to get everywhere. That's right. I'm a great navigator. And when I would be riding with your dad, I could, we could find whatever because yeah, people, he would just count on you. Okay. Yep. Sure. I would tell me where to go. Right. Right. So what so, has over every, you know, and I want to get, I'm going to get to um, your career in a second, but what has motivated you? Like every roadblock every challenge every roadblock every challenge that you faced what has been the thing that keeps you pushing and forging ahead well I think um I have always felt like I had the spirit of David in me in a sense explain that to people that don't know who David is because David was a warrior he was a king in Israel you know he was 
one of their greatest kings. And as a boy, he fought Goliath. Uh, and, uh, he just was, you know, a warrior. He was, but he was also, you know, uh, uh, he wrote many of the Psalms. So he was, he, you know, was a musician. He was, you know, he, he wrote the Psalms and he was, uh, this, you know, from a young age, he loved God and he believed that the God that would help him uh, that helped him defeat a bear and a lion would help him defeat Goliath. And so he, it was nothing that he wasn't willing to do uh, for God and for his people. And so he was a great king in that way. And uh, I always felt adventurous, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, willing to do something different, to go you know, uh, do just to put yourself out there in a sense, you know? And so I did that. I mean, that's why I went to Haiti for eight years and preached yes. there. Uh, someone said, you need to go to Haiti. And I said, I sure do. And I went and changed my life yes. in so many ways uh, to have that opportunity to do that. I was even in Haiti right after the earthquake, yeah. ministering to people. So, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, I went down to Houston to mm-hmm. minister to people, to tell people that God loved them, that they weren't forgotten. Um, and so just being able to say, okay, if God tells me or shows me is something that I need to do, I don't want to hesitate. I want to do it. So I look at my life as an adventure. And every time one door closes, another one opens up. And I'm like, David, I believe that things, no matter how bleak it is, is going to get better because he cares for me and he has a plan for my life. Like he has a plan for everybody else's life. So mm-hmm. everything that I've gone through in my life has opened the door in terms of my career has opened the door for another thing. For instance, I got into volunteerism and working with churches to volunteer because my uncle told me about this job and I applied for it and didn't get it. But eventually I, I it, the, it opened up again and I got it. I found mm-hmm. out that the person wanted to hire me but was pressured to hire somebody else. I got in that job as an administrator, you know, in in an administrative capacity. And like March, in June, the director took me to lunch and said I was she felt I was good with people and she was going to elevate me to work with major corporations to help find volunteer opportunities for their employees. So I worked there and became a director. Then that organization is long story closed <laughs> and I had met somebody before the organization closed. They called me home at home and offered me a job with World Vision and an organization organization called Mid-America Leadership Foundation. I started working there and um, the program that I was supposed to do for them, uh, I didn't end up doing because the person that I had met, Dr. Bill Leslie, uh, who was working on this program called CityLink, which was a volunteer program, had an a heart attack and died and they asked me to do the program. Well, when I came in to do the program, they gave me a bag of information that Bill had been working on. Unbeknownst to me, it was 
forms and things that I had shared with him that I was using at the volunteer network. They just changed the name, put CityLink on forms that I actually had developed myself. Mm -hmm. And there I was. So I was with this new program recruiting volunteers from churches to work with nonprofits throughout Chicago and especially underserved communities ended up going from zero volunteers to celebrating my 10,000th volunteer. Amazing. Working there, leaving there, working for Christian Community Development Association, which is a national association of churches and nonprofits and ministries doing community development. Mm-hmm. Worked for them from 2000 to 2006, I believe. Or uh, six, uh, and then um, they changed directions, and I stopped working there. You told me I needed to get a job. I went to work with you. <laughs> was placed at a job in 2007 doing yes. administrative work. Ended up working there till last December. Went from. Uh, a secretary, more or less, or administrative, I took a step back to take that job because mm-hmm. of what I was doing. I was director of operations at CCDA. Mm-hmm. Took a step back, took that job, ended up leaving there as the chief operating officer. CFO. Uh, oh, COO. COO, right, yes. of that company. And um, and so it was a family office in Chicago, uh, but our clients died. And uh, and so it's pretty much there's not a necessarily a need for what we were doing with that particular family. Mm-hmm. And so when I started a couple of years ago, I started thinking, especially after President Trump mm-hmm. uh, made office, that we needed to do something about diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I could see the division within this country. Started working on a project uh, that uh, was supported by my job, but eventually couldn't be anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I've taken it on. So I have a new business called Dynamic Inclusion. Awesome. And it's dealing with uh, diversity. It's dealing with bias, racism, mm-hmm. and helping companies or churches, nonprofits, or, or schools deal with race in mm-hmm. America and racism and bias and trying to bring people together. And I feel that, you know, this is where God would have me to be right now. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, I actually had a dream and a friend that interprets dreams. And sh- the dream basically was showing me I was headed in the wrong direction. I needed to go back to the beginning of what I was doing with this. And so I, uh, I'm i excited. So I have a website. Okay, Anybody what's the website? Yes. It's com. And you can see what I'm what I'm doing, what I hope to do um, and, and just bring people together in a way that I think is needed right now. Mm-hmm. I, you can't legislate uh, justice and and diversity or whatever. You can do all these workshops, which people have had. I mean, it's a million dollars. Yes, right it now. is. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, especially if there's something going on in their business and there's an event like at Starbucks or whatever, and you, you do these workshops for people. And yes, you can do that. 
But you can't change a person in the inside. You can't change their heart. And so my program is more talking about how did you first hear about race and Mm -hmm. how have you dealt with race in your life, whether you're a person of color or whether you're not. It started from somewhere. Children don't babies aren't born racist or biased. They're taught behavior. Mm -hmm. And so when did you first learn that? When did this come into your life? And then showing the truth about America, the truth about history in America and all the things that have taken place. So helping people to walk in other people's shoes in other ways and then developing honest open, authentic relationships so that we can move forward because a house divided cannot stand. Mm-hmm. We know that. And so it's going to take more than superficial kinds of things. Absolutely. It's going to be, and and you can't, you know, now that we've had a George Floyd or mm-hmm. Breonna Taylor, you have all these people, you know, coming on the bandwagon, but as people of color, we can't change our color. So it could be a fad to other people, right. but this is our life. And so if you want to be an anti-racist, as that's the new buzzword, Mm -hmm. it is something that you have to work on every single day. You have to be committed to that, to work on it every single day, just like black people have to deal with it every single day. That's right. And so helping people to get to that point where they understand it, and -hmm. particularly as a pastor, being in a denomination with that white that people. is multicultural. Mm-hmm. I want other and have worked with other churches that Absolutely. have been white or whatever mm-hmm. that help my brothers and sisters understand that they have a mandate from Christ to live a life of love of justice and of mercy Mm -hmm. that they show towards one another. And if you cannot do that, if you cannot do it, because Christ said, you'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you have one for the other. Mm -hmm. If you cannot love your brother and your sister and treat them the way you would want to be treated or even better than you're treated. Then you can't love God. Close your doors. That's right. That is not, what God would have you to do and what we have seen in um, seen in the last week with people storming the Capitol. Some of them had uh, flags with Jesus is my king. Uh-huh. That's what they think. That's what they like, think. Oh, no. Jesus would not support this. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't support. He's not a part of, of any of it. And racist. But but listen, mom, but this goes back to slavery because they also were toting Bibles, right? And right. calling themselves Christians then as right. they were killing us and raping us and maiming us and doing everything else under the sun. So right. that's the mentality. That's right. that's what they think. But that is but not, not only that, you have the doctrine of discovery where the church told broke up uh, on a map that they had the di- dividing the world and saying, okay, Spaniards, you can go into this section or French, you can go to that section and then you can uh, claim the land that you find for God and for country. And, mm-hmm. uh, and if the people, you know, if you can't get them to believe what you believe or you can take their land 
enslave the people. I mean, this is something from way back before America was founded. So mm -hmm. um, and these are the kinds of things that people need to know about because, yeah. uh, you know, there's a, a group called Sojourners and they uh, have a, a book uh, that they've had for years called uh, America's Original Sin, talking about racism. And so that's America's original sin, how yeah. people came over and took land from the uh, and Native Americans, people. Mm -hmm. indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And then every group uh, that they felt that was less than them over the years, they have subjugated them and uh, either enslaved them or they have had a very difficult time in America. And I want to get that book. I'm going to go uh, table that and get that book. And this is my mom was also a former Black Panther. So, <laughs> well, I was a community worker for the Black Panther Party, and I saw a lot of Black Panther newspapers for sure. And so um, she is a activist, and that's where a lot of this is coming from. But what I appreciate about you, Mom, is that you are—you have always been authentically who you are, whether it's a room of white people, a room of Jewish people, or Black people. You are the same person. You are proud. You are self-aware, and you are honest. And I really respect that about you. Well, I certainly believe in standing up for what we believe in and we have to speak truth to power. Mm -hmm. And this is a time for truth and it's a time for repentance and it's a time for building because um, the Bible mentions certain countries, uh, nations, but does not mention the United States. And surely God knew that the United States was going to be a country. So when you look at that, you wonder, well, what has happened? Are we going to implode like the, you know, the Roman Empire? A house divided, again, cannot stand. So what's going to happen? Either we're yep. going to be on the right side of history or we're not. And, and with that said, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the show. <laughs> Mom, thank you. No, seriously, thank you so much um, for for being on with me, for sharing with us. And, you know, I just hope people are inspired and encouraged to push through, to keep reinventing themselves no matter what, um, to keep striving, to be courageous and to walk in their truth no matter what as well. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Faith. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you soon, my beautiful daughter. Love you. Love you, too. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Feel free to follow Faith Over Everything podcast on the following social media platforms. Faith Over Everything underscore podcast on Instagram. Faith Over Everything podcast on Facebook. And email is faithovereverythingpodcast1 at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, share, rate, and post. We appreciate the support.